So open up your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 1. As we continue our way through this Gospel, we began to focus more in earnest last week on the ministry of John the Baptist, this forerunner of Jesus, this herald of the Messiah, who was preparing the way, who was getting people ready to receive the Lord's anointed, their long-awaited Redeemer. Now, John the Baptist was always crystal clear, right? There was no doubt in his mind that he was not the point. The one that he pointed to was the point. And he knew that his role and his ministry would would be short-lived. It would wrap up very quickly and come to an end. That once he had done his work of preparing, he would step out of the way. He would fade into the background. And this morning we see part of that transition, part of that shift, a significant moment of John directing attention away from himself and onto the Messiah. And we're going to invest our time this morning in a single verse, a single sentence. 13 words of John the Baptist directing our attention onto the one that God the Father had sent. I'm going to read a few more verses than just that one for context, verses that we'll dig further into next week. But for now, the focus will be on these words in verse 29. So stand if you're able. I'm going to read John 1, 29 through 34, the very words of God. The next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. We've already asked for the help that we need, so I ask you to be seated now. John the Baptist was a herald. He was a forerunner, a trailblazer, and as such, he made a big deal about Jesus. Very little of himself and much of Jesus. And as we sink our teeth this morning into this statement, this very loaded statement that John the Baptist makes when he sees Jesus approach, I want you to consider his statement in two ways, two sort of frames of reference here, in terms of the fact that that I'm John the Baptist for you and that you're John the Baptist for others, right? So in a very real sense, as a pastor of this church, I'm called to make much of Jesus. I'm called to prepare the way. For folks to come to the one that the Father has sent. And in a very, very real sense, you're called to the same. I'm your John the Baptist. And you're your friend's John the Baptist. 
You're John the Baptist to your family, to your co-workers, to your neighbors. If you're the herald to those around you, if you're John the Baptist for them, what do they most need to hear? What is it that you need to cry out? It says John the Baptist, he cried out. If you're going to cry out to your family and to your neighbors, what is it that you will cry out? What is it that you will herald to them? Well, friends, if we are John the Baptist, if we all to a certain extent embody that role, then we've got John the Baptist's message to herald and to cry out and to proclaim. And it's verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's our message. Now, that as a message, that makes a lot of sense to give to the non-Christians around us. Of course, that's what we would say. Of course, that's what we would cry out to our friends and neighbors who are non-Christians and, and not following Christ. Of course, that's the message for them. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But is that what you need to most, hear, most need to hear if you're here this morning and, and you're already following Christ? Right? What, what does that benefit you to hear again of the sin-bearing Lamb of God? Now, we'll get to that. But for now, I want to unpack this statement that John the Baptist made. When he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to pay close attention to what this statement means. If it is so important, if it is the message that your friends and neighbors most need to hear from you, and if, in fact, it is the message that I most need to put in front of you week after week. There's an outline in your worship folder. And it's very simple because all we're simply going to do is break down this statement into its parts. And we start with behold. Behold. Right? This is a strong word. It's a lot more than, oh, look. Right? It's not simply a recognition of something. It's a command. It's an imperative command. Behold this. Take this in. See it and consider it. Don't just see that there's a lamb who takes away sin. Behold that. Consider what that means. What are the implications there? What difference does that make that there's a lamb who takes away sin? What does that require? How does it change things? And this first one, this beholding, we're going to circle back around to at the end. So there's more on this. But later. So we're going to behold, and what are we going to behold? The Lamb of God. Now, there's a reason that John the Baptist identifies Jesus in this way. For us, for Christians, right, thinking about Jesus as the Lamb of God, that's very familiar. We don't give a second thought to that. Jesus, Lamb of God, sure. It just rolls right off the tongue. It's easy to read right over those words and not give it any second thought. But this was new. This was new. What John the Baptist says here is not some well-understood and often used way of talking about Messiah. What he's doing, he's making an important connection. 
in the minds of his audience, especially Jews in his audience. Right? There were lots and lots of lambs in Judaism, slaughtered lambs, blood spilling lambs, sprinkled on the sides of the altar, poured out on the altar, flowing down, sacrifices for sins. And John the Baptist, to see Jesus coming in the distance and call him the Lamb, oh, that speaks volumes for a population who was so familiar with lambs and slaughtering them and spilling their blood and sprinkling their blood, and to see a man approaching and to say, behold, the Lamb. And note that it's the lamb. Right? It's, it's not one more lamb. Oh, look, here comes one more lamb. In addition to the hundreds of thousands of lambs that have already been slaughtered, no, this is the lamb. This is the final lamb, the lamb of all lambs, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Y'all, that's something to behold. Behold that. Right? Behold the fact that Jesus is the lamb. Right? But also behold that he's the Lamb of God. Right? He's God's Lamb. See, before in the Jewish religion, all these hundreds of thousands of lambs that had been slain, well, you had to go get your own lamb. You go get it. You bring it in. You take your money and you go buy your lamb and you bring it. You take your stuff and you go barter for your lamb and you bring it. You get it out of your own flock if you happen to be wealthy enough to have a flock of lambs, but you had to provide the lamb. But not this lamb. This is God's lamb. You know, you've got to think about, too, in the, in the sacrificial system, lambs weren't the only thing slaughtered, right? Lots of animals get slaughtered, including little birds sometimes. Because God knew that not everybody could afford a lamb. You might could gather all your belongings and try to go barter for a lamb and not have enough. And so he made a gracious provision for the poor, for the destitute. Can you, can you scrape up enough to get a couple of birds? It makes me think of the, the beautiful uh, opening to Isaiah chapter 55. Where he says, come and buy without money. Right? He's gracious and he's kind in this provision. And for the lamb, he had to be. Because no one could afford this lamb. No one could afford this lamb. It, it has to be provided. And so God in his grace provides. Right? We'll get to it later in chapter 3. Right? For God so loved the world, He gave. He gave His Son to be our Lamb. Right? That's something that you and I need to behold. We need to behold that. We need to consider that grace and that kindness and that goodness. Knowing that you couldn't provide for yourself, He meets you in that and provides for your need. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. 
Here's what he does. Here's his purpose in coming. He does lots of things when he comes. He, He teaches, he heals, he leads, he trains. But all of those things are subordinate to his main purpose of taking away sin. Now, how does he take it away? Right? How does the Lamb of God take away our sin? Does he take our sins away by covering them up? Does he take them away by sweeping them under the rug? Does he take them away by asking the Father to, would you chill out and not be so serious about sin? Would you give these poor folks a break? Is he like a good lawyer, right? Pleading the case of his clients. No. He takes away sin by bearing them away. Right? Think of that, that practice in the Old Testament where the priest takes his hands and lays his hands on the head of the animal that's about to be slaughtered. Symbolizing a, a transfer of the sins of the people onto that sacrificial animal. The Lamb of God takes away sin by bearing it away. He takes sin away because they're placed upon him as if he had committed those sins himself. He allows himself to be treated like a rebel in our place. Now, Lamb of God is is a fairly unfamiliar way to think in terms of Messiah, but one of the few places in the Old Testament that does allude to Messiah being a lamb is Isaiah 53 beautiful passage all of it we'll just look at three verses five through seven but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. He takes away sin by bearing it away to the cross and to the grave, dying in our place. Friends, that's worth beholding. Jesus didn't come as a a teacher to teach us the way. He didn't come as an example to show us the way that he wants us to follow his example. He came first and foremost to be a substitute, to take our punishment for us, to endure God's wrath, earned and deserved by us. That's what God's Lamb does. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, finally, of the world. Now this was a big, shocking deal. Because it would be one thing for God's Lamb to come and to take away sin for God's people. His chosen ones, the Jews. The ones that He told, I will be your God and you will be my people. The ones he led through the wilderness. The ones he gave his law to. The ones he gave the tabernacle to and the sacrifices. All the sacrifices. 
the ones who carefully dotted the I's and crossed the T's. Yes, it makes sense for the Lamb of God to come and take away those people's sins. But the whole world? All the peoples of the world? All the nations of the world? That's shocking. That's offensive. Do you know how dirty those pagans are? Do you know what they were off doing while we were at the tabernacle sacrificing these animals? Do you know what gods they were worshiping? Do you know what unmentionable things they were doing in in the name of their worship? And you mean to tell me the Lamb's work is for them too? Yes, that's exactly what John the Baptist wants to point out as he heralds the message. As he heralds Messiah, he wants to say he's for everybody. He's for everyone. That's what we need to behold. And when we behold that, that should humble some of us and it should give great hope to many of us. Right? It should humble those who think they deserved the Lamb. That they had somehow done something to be worthy of the Lamb. To be ready for God's Lamb to come and take away sin. Those folks need to be humbled by hearing that the Lamb is for the whole world. But others need to find great hope in that. That, the, that God's Lamb would come even for them? Even if I've been living a life of all these unmentionable things, worshiping the world's idols of power and sex and money, living in absolute rebellion, doing my own thing, insisting on my own way, you mean to tell me the Lamb is for me? There is no one who has it all together enough that they don't need the Lamb to come, and there is no one so bad, so broken, too far gone, that God's Lamb can't take away your sin too. Please behold that. Please carry that message to your neighbors and to your family. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, Let's get back to that earlier question. Is this what you need to hear again? I get asked a lot, sometimes directly, which is good, sometimes by dropping hints. Well, that's good too. Right? In your sermons, we need something practical. We need something helpful. I need something I can take into next week with me. I need something to help me on Monday morning to to be a better Christian. Folks are often wanting to know how to be a good person, how to be a better parent, a more loving spouse, a better employee, or a better boss. I need to know what to do. Would you please tell me what to do? And 
by and large, over and over again, the thing you need to do is to heed the message of John the Baptist. The thing you most need to do, the most practical thing you could do going into Monday morning is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I know that that deeply frustrates some of you. Because it's hard to check the box next to behold the Lamb of God. Beholding is difficult to quantify. It's hard to know if I've done enough of it. It's hard to know if my beholding, if it, if it measures up. Am, am I beholding better than the next guy? And, and that difficulty is why so many in the church and from so many pulpits, unfortunately, Christian growth, growth in the Christian life, has become a product of what you do after you believe in the gospel. Right? You believe in the gospel, you place your faith in Christ, and, and then you, you, well, you move on from there, right? You, you graduate on to more advanced things. Here's all the stuff that I need to do to live lives that please God. I need to place my faith in Christ, and then I need to work hard at getting better. But the path to growing as a Christian is through beholding not around it or in addition to it. Let me say that again. The path to growing as a Christian is through beholding, not around it, not in addition to it. We don't have some other message of growth that we add on after we place our faith in Christ. So, so behold the Lamb of God is not a message only for the non-Christian. So there, there's just one message for everyone, believer and unbeliever, the one message. And I know that it's difficult. I know it, right? Listen to me. I know that this is difficult and this is frustrating. And I don't say this to frustrate you on purpose. I say this because I've got nothing else to give you. I have nothing else to offer but behold the Lamb of God. And if you will pay close attention in Scripture, the biblical authors didn't have anything other to give you either. Even where you think it's something other, and you think, oh, well, here's all the stuff I'm supposed to do. Um, 1 Peter, another great passage, and this one in the New Testament, that shows Jesus being the Lamb. And it is a section that is highly practical, right? It's very much concerned with our growth as a Christian, with our obedience, with our behavior, the stuff that we're supposed to do. But you've got to see what this is rooted in. You've got to see where this is flowing out of. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19, in a section that's labeled, at least by the ESV, called to be holy. Okay? Therefore... 
Verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's one hint, but it gets better, much more pointed in a minute. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There's the expectation, okay? Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing. You might even put the word beholding there. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Folks, do you see where all that behavior, where all that Christian growth and conduct flows out of? From beholding, from knowing that you have a lamb from dwelling on the fact that you were ransomed with that Lamb's precious, precious blood. Knowing and beholding that though you were a rebel and an enemy, hell-bent on having your own way, the pre-existent Word who was with God. And who was God? Well, He took on flesh. Flesh Tender and vulnerable, even like that of a spotless, helpless lamb. And he willingly surrendered his life to be sacrificed for you. And he did it not because he was required to, but he did it because he loves you. That's what changes you. That's what makes you a better person. Better parenting strategies won't change you. Better ways of communicating with your spouse having a heart melted by the sheer grace and goodness And the love of your lamb-like Savior that will melt your heart, that will change every desire that you have in your body and transform you from the inside out. And sometimes folks resist that. And they still, will. I need to know what to do. And and they don't feel like beholding is doing something. But let me tell you, if you're going to do it and you're going to do it well, beholding the Lamb of God, it's hard work. It takes effort. It takes some discipline to get in God's Word, to see these beautiful, glorious truths of the Gospel, to commit them to memory, to commit to a practice of dwelling on them and meditating on them again and again and again. Letting their gracious truth pour over you like rain. It doesn't feel like hard work. It doesn't feel like we're doing anything significant. Which is probably the point. 
we're doing something that somebody else has to work the effect in us. But y'all, it is rigorous. It requires great discipline to engage the gospel in this way, to dwell with the truths of the gospel again and again, to make it a regular practice of your life. The most practical thing that you and I can do the thing that's going to change our marriages, the thing that's going to change our job situation, the thing that's going to change it all because it changes us from the inside out is beholding God's Lamb bearing our sins on His body at great cost to Himself because of the great love that He has for us. Behold that and be changed and transformed by it. Let's pray. God, help us in this. We would much rather employ some strategy or some steps or a method because it's easier to to check the box next to that and to make some judgment about if we did it well or not. But that's not the method you've prescribed. You've prescribed in your word again and again that we be changed through the process of beholding. So would you help us to behold? Thank you for this lamb. Thank you for his precious, precious blood. Thank you for the love that motivated the shedding of that precious blood. Take those beautiful truths of the gospel, press them down into our hearts that we might behold them again and again and be changed, real change. Real change that we couldn't come up with ourselves, but that you, through your powerful spirit, can do. Real change that will make a real difference in our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.